0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at Alumni Hall. And I know I was a weak premature saying this last week, but it's legit this time, guys. This is the last episode that I will be able to remind you guys to visit Alumni Hall, whether it's in-store inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens... Or online at alumnihall.com. This is my last chance to remind you guys to pick up the best Mother's Day gift you could possibly find anywhere at Alumni Hall because they've got it all, guys. They've got all the clothing gear that your mom could want, they've got coffee mugs, they've got shot glasses if your mom's into that kind of thing. They've got a ton of Georgia decor, like home decor stuff, pictures. Flags, ironwork stuff, all sorts of really cool stuff that you're just not gonna find anywhere, guys. So make sure to do your mama solid by picking up her Mother's Day gift at alumni hall. But all right, guys, I'm your host Tyler, and today on the show, I've just got two topics. I've got two topics that I've gotten a lot of questions about over the past week that I would like to respond to. And I'm gonna limit today's show to these two questions. I know, guys, we we have a lot of questions we have to get to with our mailbag. We have plenty of time over the course of the summer to get there, but today I do want to focus on these two questions because I really want to dive into them. I think both these questions deserve a lot of consideration, and I do have quite a few things that I want to get off my chest that I want to talk about and dive into when it comes to both these questions. So let's not waste any more time, guys. Today, let's go ahead and just jump right into it. And the first question that I want to respond to, and it's not like one specific question because I've gotten this from a lot of people over the course of, I don't know, the past three or four days, really since Curtis and I released the the Monday podcast. But if you caught that episode, which I hope that you did, and if you haven't, make sure you go back and check that out. But if you caught that episode, you might remember the very first mailbag question that we answered, you know, our big picture mailbag question that we always like to start those episodes off with. And that question was, was pretty simple. Which team is the biggest threat to dethrone Georgia as national champion in 2023? That was the question that we got. And there were a couple of different teams that Curtis and I brought up and that we kind of went into some detail with. Curtis brought up first Ohio State and Michigan. We talked about both those teams in depth. And then I brought up a team that was, I don't want to say they're off the radar, but I know that a lot of Georgia fans don't really have much respect for because they don't play any defense. And that's kind of true. I think they'll be better on defense this year, but they have not been good defensively. Lincoln Riley's not really had a good defense anywhere that he's been as a head coach, whether it's Oklahoma or USC. But I did. I brought up USC as a team that I thought could at least pose somewhat of a threat because of their offense, their offense being constructed in a way that is very similar to the offenses that have given our elite defenses trouble over the past three or four years. And there's not many teams, guys, there's not many offenses out there that have actually given our defense trouble because we're really freaking good on defense, but there are a couple. And I feel like USC's offense has the talent and is structured in a way, built in a way, schemed in a way to give our defense trouble but we really limited our conversation to those three teams, Ohio State, Michigan, because those are the first two teams Curtis brought up. And then I brought up USC and kind of tried to explain myself and explain my thinking when it came to USC, because I knew there'd be a lot of pushback there from a lot of you listening. So of course that means there was one very conspicuous absence from the conversation. And a lot of you let me know about that. And of course that was the Alabama Crimson Tide. Quite a few of you have hit me up over the past couple of days, and if you're one of those people, you know who you are. And Hey, legitimately, guys, no hard feelings. I love the feedback. I love the give and take. I really appreciate the discussion. I value all of your thoughts and your opinions. I really, really do. I like to get where other people are coming from and kind of hear their perspective. And none of us really know right now. That's the reality. That's the fun of the off-seasons. We're all projecting. We're all predicting. None of us really know. We won't really know until things kick off in September. But that's what makes the offseason fun. Because right now, there are no right answers. There are no wrong answers. There are just thoughts and opinions, right? Well, eventually, we'll find out who was right and who was wrong. But we we don't know right now. So it's just fun to have these debates. So I, I certainly welcome that. But there were quite a few of you, man, that hit me up and said something along the lines of, Hey, dude. What about Bama? How could you forget about them? How could you possibly leave them off of your your threats list? USC over Bama? Dude, you're crazy. Some variation of that. Got a lot of different thoughts. And I totally respect all of those. But I do also want to respond to all of those questions. Because there, this was not an oversight. It absolutely was not an oversight. I intentionally left Alabama out of the discussion. Now, there, there were some, some other like just... Practical reasons why we left Bama out of the conversation, to be honest with you. Uh, Curtis didn't bring them up initially. He brought up Ohio State and Michigan. We talked about them for a long time. I brought in USC to the conversation. And by the time we were done discussing those three teams, I looked down at our recording software and like we were more than 20 minutes into the show and we had a bunch more mailbag questions to get to and we were trying to get to as many of those as we could and if I brought in Alabama and said what I'm about to say about Alabama we would have gone on for another 30 minutes or so probably about Alabama and the entire show would have just been that one question which I guess is kind of what we're doing today I don't know but I want to get to more mailbag questions so that's why I, got, I knew that I was leaving Bama off and I, I was at least going to say hey guys I know a lot of you are wondering why, why are we not talking about Bama and give you my quick thoughts there but we were running low on time. Curtis only had an hour or so to record. and I want to get to some more questions. There was a a practical aspect to it as well. But again, there was a reason I did not bring up Alabama. There was a reason I went with USC over Alabama, even though the general consensus out there right now is that it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, the top three teams coming into the season. And if somebody's going to knock off Georgia this year, it's going to be one of those two teams. Tell me if you've heard that story before. Wasn't that the exact same conversation we had coming into last year? But last year was more Alabama, Ohio State, 1-2, and then there's Georgia kind of there at number three. But I left Alabama out of the conversation. I did not bring them up because I truly, guys, I do not view Bama as a significant threat to our 3 P chances this year. I really don't. And I know that sounds crazy. I know that flies in the face of what everyone's saying out there and and, and what the narrative is this offseason. I just simply do not view them as big of a threat as some of these other teams. Now, don't get me wrong, guys. Alabama is always a threat because they have a ton of talent. They are one of the two or three most talented teams in the country every single year. They just put together, at least statistically, according to the 247 composite, the the greatest recruiting class of all time, surpassing what A&M did the year before. So they have talent. That's not a question. So I I can't just completely write them off and say, man, like bama has got no shot whatsoever because they they do have all that talent. When you have that kind of talent, you have at the very least a puncher's chance. But guys, I got to be honest with you. I am not intimidated by Alabama. At this point, I'm not intimidated by anybody. But Alabama is certainly not a team coming to this season that comes close to intimidating me. And guys, there was absolutely a time, not that long ago, where I was. I'll be real with you. I'll be straight up. There was a time where I was intimidated by Alabama when we played them. I'm mad enough to admit that. And I think a lot of you, if you're really being honest with yourselves, could admit that you were probably a little bit intimidated by Alabama for a couple of years there, right? I mean, how could you not? They were winning all these national titles, winning the SEC titles. We couldn't beat them. They broke our hearts in 2017. They broke our hearts again in 2018. Beat us in Tuscaloosa in 2020. Knocked us off our perch and ruined our undefeated season in 2021. We couldn't beat them, guys. I mean, yeah, absolutely there was a time where I was intimidated by them because no matter how well we played, no matter how close we got to beating them, we couldn't do it. We couldn't finish the drill. We couldn't beat that team. I mean, all those years, guys, 2017, 2018, 2020, 2021, every time we played Bama in those years, I went in those games thinking, yeah, like we can beat them. Like we have enough talent to where we can beat them, but we also probably won't. All those seasons, I felt like it would actually be a surprise if we did beat them. Again, I thought we could beat them, but it would definitely be surprising to me if we did because it was just kind of in my head, right? It's Alabama. Like we just haven't gotten over that hump yet. But that is no longer the case, guys. I know we've only beaten them one time in the Kirby Smart tenure, but after the past two seasons where our program has been elevated to, I fully expect to beat them. Like if we played Alabama this year, I would not feel the slightest bit of intimidation. I would be fired up and I'd be confident, man. And guys, I'll take it a step further. I think this year more than any other year, this is a this is an Alabama team that absolutely would not intimidate me. I think this is the least intimidating Alabama team since maybe the first year Saban got there in 2007. I really, truly believe that. I say that knowing full well how well they have recruited over the past couple of years, how well they've recruited since Saban's gotten there, essentially, and and the level of overall talent on that team. I say that knowing full well what they've got up and down that roster. But here is why I won't lose a wink of sleep this offseason thinking about Alabama. If you think about Alabama, since they've lost Kirby Smart, what has made them special? Because when Kirby was there, the early, the first half of Saban's tenure, when Kirby was there, they were 100% led by their defense. And their offense was good, but it was, it was certainly spearheaded by their elite dominant defenses. That's what made them special, and that's what put them over the top winning national championships the first half of the Saban tenure. But since Kirby has left there's been a shift at Alabama. So what has made Bama special and kept them among the nation's elite over the past six or seven years? What has kept them in the national title conversation? What has kept them national title good? Well, I mean, they've had good defense. Don't be wrong, they haven't fallen off the face of the earth defensively, but they have taken a step back since Kirby left. But what has kept them at that level? It's two things. Elite quarterback play matched with elite skill talent. Guys, they've had four starting quarterbacks drafted in the first round since 2017, if you include Jalen Hurts. And I include Jalen Hurts in that because the dude started a national title game. Didn't finish it, but he started. He also came in the 2018 SEC Championship game and and sealed the deal for him and led that comeback, as as we all, unfortunately, are far too well aware of. So four quarterbacks since 2017 drafted in the first round then when you look at skill talent specifically wide receivers they've had six wide receivers drafted in the first round since 2018 and then they just put Jameer Gibbs in the first round as a running back last year that is what they have leaned on more than anything in the second half of this Saban tenure they're still very good on defense do not get me wrong there they're still very very good on defense but they also aren't dominant like they once were The reason that they have been winning consistently at a high level is because that elite skill talent offense matched with that modernized scheme that really, I guess, Lane Kiffin was the first one to kind of bring in, and they've taken it from there. But that's exactly what has given us trouble in the past, you know, what, four or five years going back to 2017. Why was Kirby 0-4 against Alabama before the, the national championship win? Because they were a bad matchup, guys. As I said earlier in the week. The teams that have given our defense trouble are the teams that can pair truly elite quarterback play with truly elite skill talent in a modernized offensive scheme. You look at LSU, Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. (laughs) I mean, that fits the bill, right? Elite quarterback, two elite receivers, modernized scheme. It didn't matter what we did. We had a ton of NFL guys on that team, guys. We had a ton of NFL guys on that team, and we couldn't do anything to stop that team. Go back to the Rose Bowl, 2017. Yeah, we won that game. We won that game in overtime. But, I mean, Oklahoma was moving the ball up and down the field in the first half. Why? Well, you have a first-round quarterback. You have first-round wide receivers, modernized offensive scheme. That gives Georgia problems. Same thing with Ohio State in last year's Peach Bowl. Elite quarterback, first-round quarterback, multiple first-round wide receivers, modernized college offense. Give the Georgia defense trouble. That's what it takes. But the reality is there are very, very, very few teams each year that can check off all of those boxes. There might be some teams that can check off one or two of them, but all of them, not many teams out there. But Alabama, over the past four or five years, going back to 2017 and even before then, they have consistently been one of those teams. Elite quarterback play? Check. Elite wide receiver play? Check. Elite running back play? Check. Modernized college offense? Check. Check. And that is exactly why Alabama does not scare me this year, because who are those elite guys this year? Who are they? Who's your elite quarterback? You can't check off that box. Did you guys watch their spring game? They have an abject disaster at quarterback on their hands right now. And I know, I know, I know, just a spring game. You can't draw definitive conclusions off spring games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that, but it's not just based on the spring game. I watched Jalen Milrow play a game and a half last year. He played the entire second half against Arkansas, and he played the entire game against Texas A&M, a terrible Texas A&M team that they almost lost to at home because Jalen Milrow cannot complete a forward pass. He is a fantastic athlete. Do not get me wrong. Fantastic athlete. He is certainly a dynamic threat with his legs, but the dude does not know how to consistently go through progressions and even if he does know how to in the moment he panics he loses his poise and he just takes off he makes a ton of very boneheaded decisions his mechanics are a mess and even when he does make the right decision and he and he actually identifies the right receiver the guy is highly erratic with his accuracy and huh who does that remind you of who have we said that about in the very recent past. So I don't know, uh, maybe Anthony Richardson, right? I know he just went number four in the NFL draft. I don't care what the dude does in the NFL. In college, Anthony Richardson was a borderline liability for Florida with his inconsistencies in the passing game. And when I look at Jalen Milrow, I see a lot of similarities there. A guy who is extremely toolsy, has all the physical tools in the world, but struggles to to actually play the quarterback position, like reading coverages, identifying coverages, knowing where to go with the football, progressions, and when he identifies where to go, just actually putting the ball on the receiver, like actually being accurate. And I just don't, I don't even think that Milrow, as as physically gifted as he is, he's not anthony richardson level gifted so i I would say that Jalen milrose a a poor man's anthony richardson and that's the quarterback of a team that went six and six last year so that's the guy like that's the guy Bama fans want to count on oh man i don't know i don't know about that and neither do their coaches. That's why they went out and got Tyler Buckner. And I know some of you, you know, I was interacting with some of you going kind of going back and forth and, and sharing some thoughts and and uh kind of just giving you where I was coming from. And my 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 thing with, with Milrose maybe long term, like maybe Anthony Richardson long term can grow into a good quarterback because he does have physical tools. And maybe that's the case for Jalen Milrow too. Maybe. But do you really expect that to happen in one year? Not even one year, from April to September. You expect him to just magically blossom into this all-world elite quarterback and, and fix all of his issues? That's fantasy land stuff, guys. That's not going to happen. Not that quick. And then the other guy that was really in competition with him this spring, Ty Simpson. Dude, he's not ready. That guy is not ready. He's a solid athlete, and I do think he does more of the little things that quarterbacks have to do. I think he's more polished at like playing the quarterback position. Than what Milro is, but that dude has a pop gun arm. I know everyone gave Stetson Bennett crap for having a having a weak arm last year, which is was just complete BS, complete and utter BS. That was just a narrative that got that took hold because people thought, oh, he's a walk-on, so he's only a walk-on because he has no arm. Ridiculous. He proved that wrong at the NFL combine. But Ty Simpson guys legitimately has a pop gun arm. I just don't think he has the physical tools. I don't think he has the physical tools, and I also don't think, even though he's more polished than Jalen Milrow is right now, that doesn't mean he's polished enough to be considered an elite quarterback in the SEC. Again, there's a reason why they went out and they picked up Tyler Buckner out of the transfer portal from Notre Dame. And dear God, if they are relying on Tyler Buckner to be their elite quarterback, God bless him. God bless him, because that is not going to work out well for him. This is a dude that... Completed 55% of his passes last year. Three touchdowns, five interceptions for his career, two years. He's got six touchdowns, eight interceptions, completing under 60% of his passes in those two seasons. Is a dual-threat guy. Like He's an athletic guy, and he can do some things with his legs. But you're trying to tell me that you are going to replace Bryce Young with either Tyler Buckner, Jalen Milrow, or Ty Simpson, and all of a sudden now you're going to be good enough to be Georgia? Get out of here with that there's no way that is lunacy the sad fact for Alabama is very stark it's very real they simply do not have that guy at quarterback now they'll try to tell you they do and they'll try to rationalize it they'll try to make themselves feel all warm and fuzzy inside but the cold fact is they don't have that guy and now maybe if you had elite skill town around that quarterback, maybe be it would mitigate it to a degree, right? And, you know, Curtis brought that up when we talk about Ohio State, because my thing with Ohio State, the reason I don't, I don't, I'm not really, they don't really scare me either, is because I'm not sure what they have at quarterback right now. I do think that that there's a chance Ohio State could be a lot better at quarterback than Alabama, because Kyle McCord, like, I, I haven't seen him, so I don't know. The thing is, I've seen Jalen Milrow play I know that guy is not the answer I have seen Ty Buckner Tyler Buckner play I know that guy is not the answer I haven't seen a ton of Ty Simpson in college I just I've seen him at at their spring game but that was enough for me that dude does not have the physical tools I've seen enough to know he is not ready to be the guy right now I can't say the same thing about Kyle McCord at Ohio State because I just haven't seen the guy I, I can't give you an educated opinion on that but Curtis brought up the idea like hey look you know when you have guys like Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca Ibuka, Julian Fleming coming back, a couple five-stars like Carnell Tate coming in this year, I mean, that those kind of players, that kind of talent wide receiver can certainly mitigate any inexperience and also just lack of talent at quarterback. And that that's a fair thing to say. I don't necessarily entirely disagree with that. It certainly does help, right? But who were those guys at receiver for Alabama? Who are those guys? Who's Devontae Smith? Who's Jamison Williams? Who's Jalen Waddell? who's Henry Ruggs? Who's Jerry Judy? Who's Calvin Ridley? Who are those guys? Where are they? Jermaine Burden? No, man. No. Jermaine Burden's a good receiver. Don't be wrong. He's a good guy. Good, good receiver. He's not elite. When has Jermaine, Jermaine Burden ever shown anyone that he's an elite receiver? Ja'Cory Brooks? Good player. Talented player. Done some good things to Alabama. But is he an elite receiver? Maybe he can grow into that this year. Maybe. He hadn't been that yet. He wasn't that with Bryce Young. So he's going to be that with Jalen Milrow or Tyler Buckner or Ty Simpson? I wouldn't bet on that. Now, Isaiah Bond is a guy that I actually like. I think he's a, a really good slot receiver out of Beaufort High School. I mean, he's a guy that I think could become, could emerge as their top playmaker this year. He's electric, he's explosive, he's got all those all the tools you could want, but he still hasn't been that guy yet. So maybe you have one-ish, kind of, but I don't. I still don't think that he's ready to be that kind of guy, to be a, a, a Smith, a Waddle, a Ruggs, a Judy, a Williams. So if you're asking me, if you look at Alabama... They really only have one of the three things I think you need to have in order to really challenge and ultimately beat Georgia. Elite quarterback play, can't check that box right now. Elite receiver play, can't check that box right now. Offensive system, like modernized offensive scheme, I would still maybe give that a, a, a half check because they are changing coordinators this year, bringing in Tommy Reese from, from Notre Dame. And Tommy Reese, at least what he has shown in his background in calling plays Notre Dame represents a departure from what Alabama has done the past five or six years. Now, the, the word on the street is that, hey, he had to learn the Alabama system and he's having to adjust to their plays and their terminology. It's not really him bringing in his system. He's just kind of coming in. He's going to call the plays that they've been calling for you know the past five or six years. So I'll give him that but I can't give him quarterback right now. I can't give him receiver right now. And now that we have this thing built out, we have our program built out the way it is. You are beating Georgia. You are not beating Georgia without elite quarterback play and elite skill talent. You just simply aren't guys. You are not going to do it. So yeah. Why would I be scared of Alabama? Why would I look at them as one of the top threats to beat us this year? Based on talent? Yeah, based on talent. Overall talent on your roster? Sure, like they're probably the most talented team in the country, the second most talented, one of those two, right? Like it's probably, it's either us or Alabama, most talented team in the country, and it's marginal. Whoever's one, whoever's two, it's it, we're splitting hairs there. But they simply don't have the talent and the experience at the spots that you have to have talent and experience to beat Georgia. That's my point. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying we blow them out. I'm just saying we beat them, and they don't concern me, I am not the slightest bit concerned with Alabama coming to this 2023 season, and that's honestly, guys, might be the first time I've ever like truly said that, like really meant it, you know, last year, come out the first national championship game, He's like, yeah, hey, we, we got that monkey off our back. But like, it was like, hey, you know, Alabama, you know, they got Bryce that's, like, If we played them, I'm, man, that'd, be, that'd still be a really tough game. Like, We could win it. I think we could win it, but I, I don't know, man. I would certainly wouldn't bet on it. We'll see what happens. Beat him we beat them last year. Can we beat them again? I don't know. This year, that's that's not my thinking, man. No, this year, it's like, no, we're going to beat them. If we play them, whatever, yeah, we'll beat them. Now, the reality is I don't really know who that team is. You know, that, that was the question. That was, that was the task we were given in that first question. It's like trying to identify who's the biggest threat to knock us off this year and to ruin the, the 3 P right? The honest truth is, I don't know who it is. Like, like who is it? Who is the team that has all the components you need to be Georgia? Because, like, okay, so I mentioned elite quarterback play, elite receiver play, modernized offensive scheme, okay? But it, you really have to have more than that, right? Like, you have to be at least in the ballpark when it comes to talent level because there are a lot of teams that have, you know, really good quarterback play, good receivers, great offense, but, like, up and down the roster, especially on defense, they just don't have The talent, like you have to be in the ballpark when it comes to talent level, and you do have to be good enough on defense. When I say good enough, I think like top forty, maybe top fifty-ish caliber defense. And if you are like on the lower end of that, top forty, top fifty, you better be like top three offense, or it's not going to happen for you. You could be like you know top ten offense, and then be you know top twenty defense, and and you could have a chance to be this. But you you have to you have to be in the ballpark when it comes to talent level. You have to be good enough on defense, and you have to be absolutely dynamic on offense. And who is that, guys? Like Who checks all those boxes this year? I mean, talent, okay. Ohio State, I would say that they're in the ballpark when it comes to talent level, like matching up with us. Bama certainly is in the ballpark. I'd say Texas, guys. I really believe that. Texas, like, you know, They've recruited really, really well. I know like Texas is back, and they're never back. Like, I get all that, but like you look at the recruiting rankings guys and the talent they have on that team, they have recruited really, really well. Like, just as good as anyone not named Georgia, Alabama, or maybe A&M over the past couple of years, maybe through Ohio State in there as well. But I think Texas is in that conversation, the ballpark when it comes to talent level. Even A&M guys, A&M has put together a bunch of really good recruiting classes the past couple of years. Like Talent-wise, they've got it. That wasn't the problem last year. It was culture, and it was offensive scheme, but talent-wise, like, they're certainly in the ballpark. I think Clemson is ish in the ballpark they're they're certainly not as talented as we are or Alabama but there's not a massive gulf there there's certainly a gap but there's not like a a crazy significant gap I think LSU ish is in that conversation they recruit really well and they've got a lot of talent I don't think they're as talented as we are as Bama is but they're certainly really talented team, so I, I think my list kind of stops there when it comes like who's in the ballpark when it comes to talent level, maybe Tennessee's like right there on the edge, the cut line, maybe, I know, they're not, honestly, I don't think they're there, they got, they got some good players, they're not there as a total roster yet, so what, there's five, six teams I, I read off there, uh, quarterback question, all right, who checks that box, who's got elite quarterback play, um, USC? And that's why I brought up USC earlier in the week. It's like, they've got elite quarterback play, okay? USC's got elite quarterback play. I mean, Ohio State, maybe. We don't know. We don't know. Texas, that's a major question, man. Quinn Ewers was bad last year, guys. I mean, he was a 58% passer, 15 touchdowns, six picks, only 7.4 yards per attempt. That, talk about erratic with his accuracy. That dude was one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life. That dude was just missing wide open receivers. And not just missing them, like missing them badly. So Texas might be... Like in the ballpark when it comes to talent level, but I don't know if they got the quarterback right now. They they, they think they do. They think he's taking a stride. We'll see. We'll see. He was a highly rated guy. We know that, but he certainly wasn't that guy last year. Uh, Clemson, I, I do. I, I'm telling you guys right now, I am not going full in right now on K. Klubnick. Talented guy. I Think he could be good long term. He did some good things last year. I know he's really experienced late in the year. I just, I don't know if he's elite yet. Maybe, maybe, but. I don't know A&M massive question mark there I mean guys Max Johnson apparently is still in this conversation in the quarterback battle I, I didn't think that was going to be remotely possible but if he ends not being their starter no way that dude mm-mm, he's not elite man Ohio State again maybe possibly Bama no way no bit no way Bama, Bama's out because they don't have the quarterbacks elite skill talent elite wide receivers um I'd say Ohio State certainly Clemson, no. Uh, Texas, absolutely. A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy. Jordan Whittington's back. Isaiah Nayer's back after missing all of last year with an injury. So, like, Texas is loaded at wide receiver. They really are, guys. a and has some dudes at wide receiver. Like, Evan Stewart, that dude's a bad man. He's a bad man at receiver, guys. But again, I go back to, to my question. Of all those teams, who checks all the boxes? Who's got the talent, like, they're in the ballpark from a talent perspective, along with having elite quarterback play elite receiver play. Who's got that? And who's got a good enough defense? No one has that total package, that total combination. There's some teams that got two or three boxes checked, but they don't have them all checked. So I just don't think there's an obvious answer right now. That's why I do think Ohio State, if they hit on Kyle McCord, even if he's just like pretty good, I think with the skill and talent they have with him and what they have coming back on defense, I think Ohio State could certainly still be a threat. Absolutely. I just, I'm just i just not sold on quarterback right now. I should have I completely whiffed on Michigan. Like Michigan Talent wise, I don't think Michigan's nearly as talented as us. I don't, I don't. I simply, I don't put them there. I think I'd put Clemson, I'd put Michigan down like Clemson level talent, Like very talented, but they're, they, they are a, a tier below us when it comes to talent level. I, I, I think the same thing at Clemson and even LSU. I think they're a tier below us when it comes to talent level. The top tier talent wise, I put Georgia, BAM, Ohio State and maybe Texas right there, maybe I a, mean, I was with Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Texas, and AM in the next tier. And I put like Clemson, LSU, Michigan in that, in that third tier of talent. But Michigan is a, is a team that does have, you know, obviously a returning star comeback at quarterback with JJ McCarthy, but he has not shown me that he is an elite quarterback. He's shown me that he has elite tools, but is he an elite quarterback? It's, it's especially when it comes to the pass game. I have not seen that from now. He, if he becomes that this year, then that's a team to watch. That's certainly a team to watch, as we know they're gonna play really good defense. They run the ball really well. As I said earlier in the week, my thing with Michigan is they are built just like us, and you are not gonna out Georgia Georgia. Like you have to be, you have to be different than Georgia. You have to be, have the the elite quarterback play, elite receivers, Martin offense, throw the ball over the field, be able to put up tons of points like Ohio State, and be good enough on defense like Ohio, like Ohio State almost was. Michigan they're just built too much like us, and they're gonna to try to out physical us, and that's not gonna happen because we just have better players. So, I guess what I'm saying here, guys, long story short, is I don't know who that team is. I do think that on any given day, Ohio State, Michigan, Bama, maybe even USC, if they just really game plan for our defense so well and they just like come up with some interceptions and we play poorly on defense. I think those teams on any given Saturday, if we play really, really poorly, they're good enough and talented enough to beat us. But I'm talking about like, the way I look at this is, okay, who's a threat to knock us off? All right, well, if we play our A, our A game, is there any team in the country that can beat us? And right now, I just don't think the answer is yes. You know, back in 2017, I knew that if we played our A game against Alabama, that wouldn't necessarily mean that we were going to win because if Alabama brought their A game, they just had more talent than us in that year. So they'd been that their program was more built out than ours was that early in Kirby's tenure. I felt in 2019, the SEC championship game against LSU that even if we played our A game, that didn't guarantee that we were going to win. But since that point, like since we got 20, you know, 2021 and 2022. Both those seasons, I felt every single game, if we played our A game, there was no way we were going to lose. Now, did we play our A game every single game? No, of course not. It's college football. You're not going to do that every single game. So that's why anyone could potentially knock you off. Any of those teams could. But I just don't know who that team is that if you matched our A game versus their A game, that they would beat us. I don't think that team exists this year. I really don't. All right, guys, enough with that question. That was about 30 minutes of conversation there. So This is why I told you guys I was only going to do two questions today because these are questions I really had a lot to say about and I wanted to dive deep on. So I'll try not to go as long with this second question. I don't think that I will. But in case you missed it, I think over the weekend this quote came out. I don't know who he said this to or who released this initially. I've just seen the quote, and I've gotten a lot of questions about it over the past week. So Nick Saban was asked about the evolution of modern offense. And this is what he had to say. Quote, it used to be that good defense beats good offense. Good defense doesn't beat good offense anymore. It used to be, if you had a good defense, other people weren't going to score. I'm telling you, it ain't that way anymore. And, you know, over the weekend when I first saw this quote I saw a lot of Georgia fans, a lot of Georgia people on Twitter that were, you know, scoffing at this, saying, well, how did Georgia win the past two national championships? Like, we were defensively driven, right? And and we won national titles, so don't tell me that defense doesn't win championships anymore. And I really want to agree with all those people out there who said those things. I really do, because I am a Georgia guy, right? And I want to say, hell yeah, you know, defense wins championships, because, like, that's the perception of Georgia, right? Is that we're, we're all about defense and our offense, and we're just dragging our offense along for the ride. And I don't want to agree with Nick Saban. I don't want to. I'd rather agree with all my Georgian people out there. But uh, I actually, I've got to side with Nick Saban on this one, guys. I really do. I really, really do. Now, hear me out on this, okay? Let me try to explain this. I've, I've done some research, kind of back this up for you guys. That's why we didn't touch on this on the uh, the first episode of the week, because I wanted to dig into this and get some numbers for you guys. You know, you know how I like to do I like to try to back some of these things up as much as I possibly can, give you, give you guys some numbers, give you some evidence. Now, first, hear me when I say this. You absolutely have to be good on defense to win national championship. You can't be garbage on defense and win national championship. Like that that's just not gonna happen, right? So let me read you some numbers to back that up. You have to be good on defense. So if I'm just gonna take the New Year's six teams from last year, okay. So those are all good teams, right? If you made the New Year's six, you had a good year. Most of those teams won their conference championships. Some got at large bids, but they were all really good teams. Either they played for or won their 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 conference championship in the power five, or I guess in Tulane's case, the G five. But UGA was number four. last year nationally in points per play allowed Ohio State was 29th nationally in points per play allowed Michigan was sixth TCU was 76th. not good that's the outlier there Bama was 10th in points per play allowed Kansas State was 38th Uh, Tulane was 24th USC another outlier 99th Tennessee believe it or not 14th nationally in points per play allowed Clemson 21st Penn State 7th and Utah 54th, okay? So those are the defense numbers for points per play allowed. I like that number better than scoring defense because it adjusts for tempo and number of plays that, that teams run, right? So if you take all those numbers there, that means four of the 12 teams in the New Year Six last year were inside the top 10 nationally in points per play allowed. That's 30% of those New Year's Six teams. Seven of the 12 New Year Six teams from last year were inside the top 25 in points per play allowed. That's 58%. Nine of the 12 New Year Six teams last year were inside the top 40 in per points per play allowed That's 75%. And then we did have a couple of outliers, right? You had the, the Pac-12 teams. You had USC at 99th, Utah at 54th, and TCU at 76th. Now, the 65 points that we dropped on TCU in the national championship game, that certainly had, had a lot to do with that. But think about those three outlier teams, guys. You've got USC at 99th, Utah at 54th, TCU at 76th. Utah and USC both lost. They both lost in the New Year Six. Now TCU did beat Michigan, but that was that was a barn burner of a game, uh, and then they got absolutely destroyed by Georgia, sixty five seven, the the biggest defeat in the history of, of college football bowl games. So the outliers there, yeah, like they they made the New Year Six, but they were not successful inside the New Year Six. The teams that got to the New Year Six and found success in the New Year Six. Those were the teams that were at the top, were in the top 10 when it comes to points per play allowed last year. Georgia fourth, Michigan six, Bama 10, Penn State seven. And guys, I'm gonna take this a step further. I went and dug a little deeper and I looked up all of the uh, the college football playoff national champions. So we've got nine of these. We were, we're going into year 10 of the college football playoff. 2014 was the first year. And if you look at the nine college football playoff national champions, here's where they finished in points per play allowed. Georgia last year finished fourth nationally. Georgia in 2021 finished first nationally. Bama in 2020 finished 10th. LSU in 2019 finished 34th. Clemson in 2018 finished number two. Bama finished number one in 2017. Clemson in 2016 finished 12th. Bama 2015 finished first. Ohio State in the first year of the college football playoff finished 24th. So take that all together, what that means is six of the nine college ball playoff national champions have finished in the top 10 nationally in points per play allowed. Eight of the nine teams that have won college ball playoff national championships have finished inside the top 25 nationally in points per play allowed. So yeah, you've got to be good on defense in order to win at a high level, to win national championships. But here is where... I'm going to disagree with some of those people that say defense wins championships. I think defense helps you win championships, but defense alone is not going to win championships for you. And hear me out on this, guys. Let's take last year, for example. Let's just use last year's defensive numbers. And again, I'm going to use points per play allowed. Number one, the country and points per play allowed last year, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Number two, the Illinois Fighting Illini, number three, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, number four, the Georgia Bulldogs, number five, the Troy Trojans, number six, the Michigan Wolverines, number seven, the Penn State Nittany Lions, number eight, the Air Force Falcons, number nine, the Marshall Thundering Herd, number 10, the Alabama Crimson Tide. I just read off 10 teams, right? Top 10 teams. Seven of those top 10 teams were power five teams. Only three of those seven power five teams that finished in the top 10 nationally in points per play allowed won 10 or more games in the regular season last year. Iowa, number one nationally in points per play allowed defensively, won seven games in the regular season last year, guys. Illinois, number two, they won eight regular season games. Minnesota, number three, also only won eight regular season games. So the top three teams in the country in points per play allowed, not all. A single one of them finished with more than eight regular season wins last year. Not a single one. Why is that? Because they sucked on offense. That's why, guys. Iowa was 108th nationally in points per play last year offensively. Illinois, 98th nationally in points per play offensively. Minnesota, 65th nationally. And there is my point, guys. Elite defense, or at least borderline elite defense, it is a requirement to win at a high level, to win a national championship, but alone, it is insufficient. You need more than just the elite defense. It's not good enough on its own. And to illustrate that, guys, let's go back to our list of the nine teams that have won college football playoff national championships. I read you their defensive numbers. Now it's with their offensive numbers and where they ranked in points per play scored, okay? So last year, 2022, our beloved Georgia Bulldogs finished fourth nationally in offensive points per play. In 2021, we finished third nationally. In 2020, Bama finished first. In 2019, LSU finished second. In 2018, Clemson finished fourth. 2017, Bama 13th. 2016, Clemson 30th. 2015, Bama 40th. Ohio State Second in 2014. So let's put those numbers together. That means five of the nine Coswell playoff national champions have finished the season in the top five nationally in points per play. Six of the nine Coswell playoff national champions have finished inside the top 10 in offensive points per play. Seven of the nine have finished inside the top 15. And all nine of them have finished at the very least inside the top 40 nationally in offensive points per play. So that's why I say, guys, yeah, you've got to be good on defense. That is a prereq. To win a national championship, you have to be at least very good on defense. But that alone is insufficient. That's not enough. You also have to be elite on offense. You have to marry them together. The teams that are winning national championships are elite on offense. They're elite on defense. you got to have both. And I think that's what Nick Saban was trying to say. Now that he articulated as well as I think maybe he could have. No, he didn't. But really what he was trying to get at there was the idea that no longer are you going to consistently find a way to win games 10 to 3 or 13 to 6. And the reason for that is offenses finally woke up and realized, man, there's all this space out here on the field that we're not utilizing. We're sitting here playing every single game in a phone booth and we're just getting mauled by these big physical defenses. And we're playing right into their hands. So all these offensive coordinators started to decide, well, you know what? We might not be able to match up with these defenses physically, man-on-man in a phone booth, but if we start spreading them out and we start putting athletes into space, those big old physical defensive linemen and linebackers they can't run with us and we're going to use all that space out there that we were just letting go to waste and we are going to force defenses to defend every single inch of we're going to spread them out we're going to create matchup advantages all over the field and once offensive coordinators started figuring that out and started to do those things it changed the ball forever because Saban's right no matter how good you are on defense if you face elite offense that knows how to maximize space and has the skill talent to be able to exploit that space, they are going to score points on you. So you better be able to score points yourself, or you're not going to win those football games. Saban so learned that the hard way against the Utahs, and the Oklahomas, and the Auburns of the world, but he learned the lesson. And that's why he said, hell, if y'all going to do that, then I'm going to do it too. I'm going to do it better players. And that's why they kept winning national championships, because he made that adjustment. Now, can you shut out teams that... Can't mash up with you physically, whether that's in space or whether that's in the in the trenches. Yeah, of course you can do that to you know teams like that. But you're not gonna see elite teams match up against each other and the final score be 13 to 10. That's not gonna happen anymore. You see elite teams play each other, it's gonna be like the Peach Bowl where it's forty-two forty-one. So you want to be better on defense than everyone else so that you can at least limit those offenses more than other teams do. And so you don't have to score as many points, but you're still not going to keep them from scoring. They're still going to put up points. Like Oklahoma put up 40-plus on us in the the Rose Bowl. LSU put up 37 in 2019 in the SEC Championship game. LSU put up 30 last year on us in the SEC Championship game. Elite offenses with elite skill talent are going to score points. It doesn't matter how good you are on defense because the offense just simply has too many advantages. That's what Nick Saban was trying to say. And that's what I agree with. You still have to be good on defense, but now you also have to be dynamic on offense. But all right, guys, that's that's all I got for today. Want to dive in deep into those two questions? Now, originally, what I wanted to do on today's show was to get into the win totals that DraftKings released last weekend. And guys, man, I was like a kid on Christmas morning last Friday night when I saw those win totals. I, I I stayed up way too late just looking at all of them, looking at schedules, and I, I just I love that stuff. I absolutely love it. That's uh, that's one of the, the pleasures of the offseason for me is going through all those teams, all their schedules, and trying to figure out who's going to go over, who's going to go under. I always have a ton of fun with that. So that was that was a beautiful thing. And I want to talk about it here on the show like we do each and every offseason. But I also want to give Curtis a chance to share some of his thoughts on those win totals. So I wanted to wait till we got him back on here. So that's why I went ahead and just kind of dove into these two questions today. But we will get to those win totals. We will. They're coming. I promise. And real quickly, before I get out of here, guys, I do just want to remind you, I told you earlier in the week, but I'll remind you here before I leave you guys for the week. We have two huge tennis matches here in Athens at the Dan McGill Tennis Complex this weekend. It's the NCAA Tournament Sweet 16. This is your last chance to see Georgia tennis here in Athens in 2023, because after this weekend, if we advance, we are going. the, the tournament moves to Lake Nona in Orlando, where you'll have the Elite Eight the Final Four, and the National Championship match, right? And both the men and the women are playing at home, Sweet 16, here this weekend. The women play Oklahoma on Friday at 5 p.m. That's going to be a hell of a matchup, guys. I mean, the, the, the Oklahoma women were ranked as high as top two nationally earlier in the season. We beat them in the national indoors. They are... Man, it's a really tough draw. They're a really good team. We're awesome too, but that's going to be a hell of a matchup on Friday. So come on out, guys. Leave work a little bit early. Come cheer on the ladies. And then Saturday at 2 p.m., the men are facing Harvard in the Sweet 16. I know you hear Harvard. You're like, oh, we're going to destroy Harvard. Harvard's not good. Harvard's pretty good, guys. Harvard's a pretty good team. There's some good Ivy League teams out there. Columbia's always a really good Ivy League team. Harvard has had their number this year. Harvard's beating Duke. Harvard's beaten NC State. They also almost beat Michigan. Michigan's number seven nationally, and they lost Michigan 4-3. It was a really, really tight match. So come on out, guys. Like, legitimately, outside of Sanford Stadium, there is no better atmosphere on campus than postseason tennis inside the Dan McGill Tennis Complex, especially when you get into Sweet 16. It is as good as it gets outside of Sanford Stadium. So come on out, guys. There's no baseball this weekend. The weather's going to be awesome. It'll be a little hot, but it's still going to be beautiful. going to be amazing. Bring the family during this tournament it's not free the regular season is free it's five bucks though guys five bucks five bucks for a hell of a lot of fun so come on out guys support the team if you had not had a chance you've heard me talk about them all season long now is your last chance and this truly is the best time to come out and watch georgia tennis so again women on friday at 5 p.m against oklahoma men 2 p.m on saturday against harvard for a chance to head to orlando and into the elite eight but all right guys that's it i'm officially out of here i'm done i gotta get to bed man you boys gotta get up and run in the morning. So love you guys. Thank you for being here. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.